Hello, and welcome to episode three of CVA University. This is the second part of our interview with Dr. Steve Baker and Dr. Matt Sample of CVA regarding structural heart. They are the core of our structural heart team at CVA. And in this half of the episode, we get into specifically the mitral valve, what they do to repair the mitral valve, and what they do with a patient who has persistent atrial fibrillation and a nice device that they use to deal with this problem called the Watchman. So these two are a pleasure to work with. They obviously have great chemistry because they function on a very high functioning team and enjoy the second part of our interview. It's really a blast to chat with these guys and they have a lot of knowledge on structural heart. If you have not listened to the first part of this episode, go back. It is episode two of CVA University, and without it, you will be slightly lost on this episode. But without further ado, let's get back to our conversation with Dr. Steve Baker and Dr. Matt Sample of CVA. So we can pivot a little bit into um, another valve in our heart, the mitral valve. Um, what do you guys do for the mitral valve? I know you're replacing the aortic valve like we talked about in a previous episode. But tell me about the mitral valve. What do you what do you guys do in there? So, I'll make a comment, and then I'll let uh, Matt uh, take over because he's got a lot of experience with that. But mitral valve interventions are blossoming because as the population ages, mitral valve disease becomes more and more prevalent. Aortic valve disease is definitely a disease of aging, but as it turns out, so is mitral regurgitation. So. The mitral valve can either not open well, mitral stenosis, or it can leak when it closes, mitral regurgitation. In the United States, what we see mostly is the leaking variety. And there are replacement mitral valves that are under investigation right now. We don't have any that are approved for use, but we have several promising candidates that are in trials kind of like the COVID vaccine. Right, to be deployed minimally invasively. To be deployed minimally invasively. Okay. But we're not quite there yet. The biggest intervention that we have for the mitral valve is something called the mitral clip device. And uh, I'm going to turn it over to my partner here because he's got a lot of experience with that. Well, um, you know, most everything in our, our, the way we do things, Dr. Baker and I operate on everything uh, together. So, um, and that's really what's good about our program is that, we do things together and, and we basically double our program's experience with each individual case. But the MitraClip device is basically a, a catheter-based clip that can help hold the valve together and cinch it up a little bit so that it doesn't leak so much. Uh, this is based on a surgical technique from the 1980s. Um, Ottavio Alfieri uh, came up with an idea that you could actually sew the mitral valve leaflets together, and this was called the Alfieri stitch. and was a, a means of repairing mitral valves for a while. It, it has gone out of favor with more modern techniques, but um, believe it or not, Mehmet Oz uh, was the one who kind of wrote this idea down on, on the back of a cocktail napkin, so the legend goes. Um, he really did uh, come up with the idea of the mitral clip, basically performing the Alfieri stitch with a catheter-based procedure. And it has undergone multiple randomized trials uh, and uh, you know, data sets, and it's a very effective device for reducing mitral regurgitation and improving patients' quality of life. In a certain subset of patients that have a reduced ejection fraction or, or low cardiac function, um, low ejection fraction, they actually stay out of the hospital more and they live longer if they get a mitral clip. 
So is the delivery of this mitra clip, is it similar to how a taver's delivered uh, through a small incision? It's, um, it's generally something that we do through the leg vein, an IV in the leg vein. And it's uh, patients, we, we do, uh, these patients are almost always under uh, asleep under general anesthesia, but the access point is very small. It's a one leg vein. Uh, and the IV comes right out and usually has a, a little stitch that's removed a little later in the day, and they typically go home the next day. Uh, the clip just goes in, and even in patients with congestive heart failure from mitral regurgitation or congestive heart failure from other causes where the mitral valve is worsening and contributing, we're able to reduce that leaking in the mitral valve with a minimally invasive procedure, no open chest, and uh, uh, sort of a minimum of impact on the patient. And that translates to the sort of the maximum benefit with the minimum time of recovery. That sounds, so, that sounds great. So, I mean, patients really, it sounds like, can get a lot out of this, the right patient. No, absolutely. Um, you know, everything in structural heart has to do with the structural heart team. And, and we evaluate these patients um, along with our surgical colleagues, Dr. McAlexander, our um, anesthesiologist uh, weigh in, we decide really what's the best procedure for the patient. Um, and we consider the patient's operative risk as well as um, the patient's desires and you know what, what they want out of it. Um, some patients just really don't want an open heart surgery. Um, if we feel that that's truly what's best for them, we, we do try to explain that, but it, it's a nice option for patients that don't qualify for open heart mitral valve repairs. So uh, kind of moving through the heart now, another procedure that I've seen you guys do involves a device called the Watchman. Is that something that we can talk about um, and, and what exactly that is? I, I know there's some TV ads going around right now about the Watchman device, and yeah. we want to ask the experts so about the device. The Watchman device is used to treat a condition called atrial fibrillation. So I'll start with atrial fibrillation is an irregular heart rhythm. It's extremely common. Um, as we get older, that heart rhythm becomes much more common. And with the development of atrial fibrillation, we increase our stroke risk dramatically. Uh, patients can have up to a 5% per year risk of having a stroke, depending on their other risk factors when they develop AFib. And the traditional way of reducing patients' risk of stroke is to put them on an anticoagulant. It used to be Coumadin or Warfarin for everyone. In modern times, we use some of the newer agents like Eliquis or Xarelto. Um, unfortunately, there's a small subset of patients that just can't tolerate blood thinners. They've had a, a significant bleed, either in their GI system or um, you know a, a subdural hematoma, which would be a, a bleed around the brain. Um, they may have frequent falls, and their doctors may be concerned about putting them on blood thinners. Uh, or any number of issues where a patient's treating physician, either their primary care doctor or their cardiologist, might feel that it's too much of a risk to put a patient on a blood thinner, but they've still got heightened stroke risk. What the Watchman procedure does is it is an implanted device done through a catheter, similar to the mitra clip that we talked about earlier, which goes through a vein in the leg, and can seal up the area of the heart that causes about 90% of strokes due to atrial fibrillation. This is an overnight stay in the hospital, and patients go home the next morning um, with minimal, if any, recovery time. They do need to be on a blood thinner for about 45 days following the procedure. 
to allow that device to heal like it's supposed to. But after 45 days, most of patients can come off their blood thinners and their stroke risk is dramatically lower. What's been the response of people that come off of a blood thinner? Uh, how, how are they feeling? How does it change your life? Typically, they don't feel a great deal differently. In fact, if we do our job right, they don't feel any differently. Right. But what they are able to do is go forward with a lower stroke risk, but without taking the blood thinner. So they have less GI bleeding complications. They have less brain bleeding complications. They have less skin bruising. So we, we don't do it for cosmetic reasons, but for patients who've got legitimate reasons for bleeding, maybe you're older, maybe you have a balance problem, um, maybe you're t prone to bleeding for some other reason, the, the Watchman procedure allows us to do a procedure that's relatively quick, that's relatively non-invasive or minimally invasive, and then shortly after that procedure, within the matter of a few weeks to months, you're able to come off the blood thinner altogether and still translate to lower stroke risk. So it doesn't really treat atrial fibrillation or it doesn't necessarily make you feel a lot better, but you're at least able to go, go forward with lower stroke risk and not be on an anticoagulant. Those definitely sound like positive things to me. Yeah, you know, it, uh, I would say that there probably is a quality of life improvement to, to not having to take a blood thinner every day. Uh, you know, a lot of my patients that are referred for Watchman are concerned about taking their blood thinners every day. Now, I, I do want to stress that this is not this is not a panacea. This is not for everybody that has atrial fibrillation that needs a blood thinner. This really is for patients that can't be on a blood thinner for one reason or the other. Uh, blood thinners, for the majority of people with AFib, do just fine and do a great job at reducing their stroke risk. So that's a lot of wonderful minimally invasive stuff that you guys are doing there. Um, and I'd imagine a lot of that has exploded, you know, in the last few years. What else is coming? What else is coming for your profession? So the mitral valve is probably the next frontier of, of um, structural heart disease. TAVR for the aortic valve was so revolutionary. We don't do anything with regards to aortic stenosis the way we did prior to, you know, 2005 when we first started running patients through these trials. Um, for the mitral valve, you know, the mitral clip is certainly a good device. It works for a certain subset of patients with a leaky mitral valve, but if we could come up with a TAVR equivalent for the mitral valve that was just as revolutionary, that's what we hope to get. And so there's, as, as Dr. Baker mentioned, there's a lot of trials uh, in, in place looking at different valves that can be implanted in a minimally invasive fashion. But the, the holy grail of the mitral valve would be to do just what we did with the aortic valve and create a valve that we can put in there through a tiny incision in the groin and go home the next day. We're still a good ways from that, but we've got a lot of good devices available to us now, namely the mitral clip. We can implant the TAVR valves that we mentioned into the mitral valve in certain situations. These are pretty unique situations. We don't do it frequently. Uh, but that is another option that we have at our disposal. So if, if there's a problem with an existing mitral valve or it wears out, you're saying you can go in and implant a replacement within that one? In certain situations, if you have a biological a cow or a pig valve in place that's degenerated, then that provides a, a framework, and we can insert a TAVR valve into that. 
It also goes into thinking about younger people that need a heart surgery uh, or that need a mitral valve. And these valves last a period of years, but if you're 50 years old, um, you're really talking about perhaps two, maybe three surgeries. And with the ability of interventions with catheters and able to being able to deliver valves through minimally invasive techniques, taking one or two of those surgeries off the table is a game changer. It allows people to start at a younger age with a biological valve. They can not be on Coumadin. Um, so, and of course, as Matt mentioned, having a fully uh, a, a fully percutaneous catheter-based valve that we can implant in a lot of different anatomies is something that we're working towards. And probably within the next 10 years, we'll have maybe one, if not two or three options available to us. Right now, it's just implanting TAVR valves in a sort of limited subset of the population. But relatively soon, we will have this uh, option available for mitral valves. What a great option for people that, you know, can't uh, have a sternotomy, that can't can't deal with open surgery. And the technical term holy grail is one that we'll be uh, looking looking out for when it comes to mitral valve replacement. But it really does sound like there's just a, a whole list of great options for folks who, who can't have open heart surgery. I got to say, structural heart has been the biggest uh, wide open frontier for uh, interventional cardiologists uh, who older people like me that got into the field and the only thing we had was a PFO or an ASD closure device. And stenting in the periphery and in the coronaries was the biggest part about what we do for a living. With the advent of great medications like Lipitor and uh, Plavix, those stent procedures are a little less frequent nowadays. And so we're able to transition to structural problems in the heart with valves, with uh, intracardiac defects. And... The technology is exploding. Uh, it's a great field to be in, and it's a great, great to be in a, a center where you have lots of different people to bounce ideas off like we do here. That's great. So if patients are having issues or they know they have heart valve issues or they have a long cardiac work workup, consult you guys early and often. That's the message I'm hearing. Th that's it. So uh, our heart valve number is 205-877-2901. Um, we have a, a heart valve coordinator that answers the phone and essentially 24-7. Sonia Scalf and, and Brooke Thompson are our heart valve nurses. Um, they're, they're great access points to get to, to Steve or I or, or anyone else on the, on the heart valve team. Um, sometimes, you know, I might be in a case or something like that, or Steve might be tied up doing a stent. It's easy to contact those two um, and get a patient in to see us. Uh, normally, that's the most expeditious way of doing it. That sounds great, guys. Well, I, I couldn't thank you enough for sitting down. Did, did we miss anything? Is there anything we need to cover? No, I, 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 I do think that we should point out that Tuesday mornings, uh, 7 o'clock, we have a, a structural heart conference. Um, this is not exclusive at all. Uh, any of our referrings that, that would, would want to come to this. We've actually had one come up uh, before to attend our, our structural heart conference. Any of our partners that want to come, basically we spend an hour in the morning going over our, our patients uh, that are coming up for procedures, discussing the different aspects of their, of their care and deciding which, which procedures are most appropriate or if any are appropriate. And uh, we actually get one hour of CME 
for doing that. So anybody that, that's listening that would like to attend that, just feel free to call the, the valve clinic number and we can certainly get you set up for that. Great. And that, that number one more time, Dr. That's Sample. 205-877-2901. All right. Well, guys, thanks a ton. I know I learned a lot. Thanks, Will. Always look forward Thank to seeing you. you guys. That wraps up our conversation with Dr. Steve Baker and Dr. Matt Sample of CVA. Thank you for tuning in. If you have any suggestions or any specific questions, don't hesitate to reach out to education at cvapc.com. Drop us an email anytime or visit us on the web at cvapc.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in and we look forward to seeing you on a future episode.